Hi, welcome everybody. Happy Easter. My name is Ed Travers, teaching pastor here at LifePoint in Westerville. Grateful to have you uh, listening in and celebrating Easter Sunday with us, uh, Resurrection Sunday. So as I was putting this message together, I was thinking about how uh, most people have had a moment in time where they've gotten cut, they had to get stitches and it left a scar. Uh, let me tell you, I've had several in my life, but let me tell you about one of them. Uh, early on uh, in my marriage, Tammy and I uh, lived in an apartment, our very first apartment, very first year of marriage, and it was a row, uh, a townhome of four homes, and we lived on one end, and this guy, Ted, lived on the very opposite end. Now, Ted, I would run into him outside uh, in the parking lot, that kind of stuff. Ted talked with a really slow draw. So he would see me, and he'd say, hey, Ed, how you doing? And I'd be like, good, Ted, how are you doing? Like, so it, whenever we would talk, you know, I always had to kind of wait for him to finish the sentences and, and finish. And uh, he's just a really nice, down-home, you know, good guy. Anyway, uh, one day, so Tammy and I are sitting in the living room, and he comes knocking on the back door. So I go up, and I open the door, and I'm like, hey, Ted, how you doing? He goes, hey, man, can, can you help me move a refrigerator? So I'm thinking... All right, he wants to slide a refrigerator in his kitchen. You know, we'll slide it around or something, and he wants some help. I'm like, sure, no problem. So, you know, I walk with him over to his place, and we go in his back door, and, and the, the refrigerator was actually in the basement. He wanted to move a refrigerator up into the kitchen from the basement. And, and I'm thinking, look, I, I'm not a very big guy. I'm not a very strong guy. This seems like a dumb plan. But we get down there, and I say, hey, man, I don't know if I can lift this thing. He goes, well, let's just try to see if... And so I got on the bottom end of the refrigerator. He got on the top end, and I was able to lift it up. And honestly, it wasn't as heavy as I thought. Uh, maybe, I don't know, between the two of us, we had no problem lifting it up. So I said, well, why don't you go up backwards with leaning backwards, you know, and holding the top of the refrigerator? Because it's going to take more strength from the person on the top than it will be on the bottom because you have more leverage. And I thought, maybe that's the best way we could do this. So we, we kind of moved around, and he went up the stairs, and we got all the way to the top of the stairs, but we couldn't get the refrigerator through the door. So we laid it on the steps, and he was going to go into the kitchen and figure out why he couldn't get the door more open or, or maybe take it off the hinges. Whatever his plan was, uh, we, we laid it there on the steps, and it was sitting there stable, and we thought, okay, it's sitting here. It's good. Let's just kind of leave it there, right? So he goes up. The fridge is sitting there, and next thing you know, this thing dislodges from the steps, and now I've got the entire weight of the refrigerator coming down on me. It hit me in the chest hard. And I'm, I like, I realized I could not stop this thing, so I jumped between the rails onto the floor, and this refrigerator came crashing down, all the way down the steps, loud noise, smashed into the basement floor. And I look down, and I see blood everywhere. And I'm like, what the heck? And I look down in my arm, there's this huge gash in my arm. So I put my hand on my arm, and I start going up the stairs, going to my house, and I went and, you know, into the kitchen sink, and I rinsed it off, and I realized I have like an inch... Uh, like it's almost like an inch and a half gash in my arm and blood is just pouring out. So I just kind of grab it. We wrapped it in a towel. Tammy looked at me. She goes, get in the car. And so we jumped in her car. And the first thing she said was, don't bleed in my car. And I'm thinking, I'm trying not to bleed in your car. So she just tears out of there. I mean, running through lights, running through stop signs to get us to the hospital. We get there, they wrap it up, you know, they stitch it up and whatnot. I bring it up because today is Resurrection Sunday. The beauty of the resurrection. We, we see that Jesus Christ has risen from the grave. The tomb is empty. There's no body there. It's an exclamation point of the grace and mercy of God. That's the beauty of Resurrection Sunday. But you can't appreciate the resurrection without awareness of the crucifixion. What happened on Good Friday? 
when he went to the cross and they, they beat him with a cat of nine tails, ripping open his flesh. They put a thorn, a crown of thorns on his head and drove it into his head. They then put him onto a cross where they drove nails through his hands and his feet. What he did on the cross was he paid the penalty for all of our sins, took on all of the wrath of God that meant for all the sins of the world. He took it all on himself. I say that because I had one small cut on my arm that I'll never forget till the end of time. Like I'll never forget that day as long as I live. What Jesus did, he was cut all over his body. He was literally tortured into death. And yet he rose from the grave. That's the beauty of Easter Sunday. And this is the thing. The beauty of the resurrection means that anyone now can come to faith in Christ. Anyone who feels far from God can come to God because of what Jesus did on the cross. It's him paying the penalty for sin that washes away our sin. That anyone who comes to him in faith and receives the gift of grace and mercy could be made right with God, at peace with God. That's the beauty of Easter Sunday. The thing is though, I have experienced, and maybe you have, it's difficult to live by faith. It's difficult to embrace faith and to live by it. I think for some people that they just, the idea that their sins could be forgiven, really just because of what Jesus did, people have trouble putting their faith in that because they think, man, I've got to find a way to make myself right. I think for people like me who've already trusted in Christ, like trying to continue to live in that trust, to to trust God with my life, it can be difficult at times to embrace faith. So that's the question, you know, how do you muster up the will to have faith? How do you uh, strengthen up your mind and say, all right, I'm gonna live by faith. Why is it so difficult to live by faith? That's what we're gonna look at today on Easter Sunday. Let's take a second and let's pray that God will speak to us. Uh, Father, I pray that you'll use the scripture. You will use my words and use this, this moment in time just to speak to us, to draw us close to you. Lord, I pray that um, you, know, you would teach us what it means to have faith and to live in faith. We ask that in your son's name, amen. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible, open it up to John chapter 20. We're gonna look at a conversation and a moment between Jesus and the disciple Thomas. And my hope is that as we look at this scripture, that we'll learn something about what it means to live in faith. The first thing I wanna share with you is this, is that life has a way of wounding our faith. In, in John 20, here's what's happened. Remember, Jesus came on the scene and he called his disciples to follow him. And for three and a half years, they followed him. They lived with him, they ate with him, they did ministry with him, they saw the miracles, they saw all the clashes with the Pharisees and Sadducees. They saw all of this go down. They were willing to risk their lives to follow Jesus, but they saw him die. They were there, they were witnesses to the crucifixion of Christ and all of their hopes were gone the moment Jesus died. Well, on the third day, some, some of the ladies went to the tomb and they went and got uh, Peter and they went and got John and said, look, you, you need to come to the tomb. The tomb's empty. And Peter and John ran down to the tomb and they didn't see a body. They left, but Mary Magdalene was still there and Jesus appeared to her. She goes back and tells the disciples and the disciples are like, you're, you're basically out of your mind. They don't believe her. Well, one day Jesus appears to the disciples. There were still 10 of the disciples there and he appears to them and they ate food with him and they hung out with him. And they all go to Thomas and tell him because Thomas wasn't there in that particular moment. And they tell Thomas that Jesus is alive. But here's what Thomas says, verse 24. Now Thomas, 
one of the 12 called the twin was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Now, at this moment, this is where Thomas gets his nickname, Doubting Thomas. Thomas was a twin. He had a twin brother. That's why it says that. And it, if you think about it, he has 10 of his friends that, you know, of the 12 disciples, Judas is gone. Thomas is the one of the 11. He's not there when Jesus appears. 10 of them are all eyewitnesses to Jesus rising from the grave. They all saw the same thing Thomas did, that, that they saw Jesus, you know, be crucified. They saw him die. They saw him placed in the tomb. And all of their faith was the same at that moment. It was dashed. It was destroyed. But something happened to change the other 10. And they're going to Thomas saying, Thomas, we saw him. So what would keep Thomas from trusting in his 10 closest friends? What would keep him from saying, okay, they've seen him alive. Why wouldn't he be full of hope? And I'll tell you why. Because life has a way of wounding our faith. And Thomas is completely destroyed. Now, don't give Thomas a bad rap. Remember, if you're reading in John chapter 11, uh, Jesus was heading up to Bethany and his life was gonna be threatened in Bethany. And Thomas is the one who told the rest of the disciples, let's go up there and die with him. Assuming when they get to Bethany that somehow they're all gonna be put to death. Thomas was willing to lay down his life for Jesus. But all of his hopes were dashed the moment he saw Jesus die. You see, life has a way of wounding our faith. And, and I think it's true that it's often our wounds that we suffer in life that keep us from trusting in a risen Christ. Sometimes the way that we go through life and the way things happen to us are the things that really keep us from trusting in God. Let me, let me tell you a quick story about a guy from uh, LifePoint that, that I met him when we first really started uh, launching our campus in Westerville. Uh, his name is Mike, and uh, Mike served on one of our teams. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd seen him around a bit and, uh, you know, knew him and his wife. And uh, I remember talking to Mike one day. I said, I was in the back of the room after service and I was just kind of chit-chatting with him. I said, hey, Mike, uh, you know how I always tell stories about people up on stage? He goes, yeah. I said, dude, I'd love to hear your story so I can make fun of you on stage someday. You know, and we both had a, a good laugh over that. And anyway, a couple months later, I run into to Mike. I said, hey, Mike, seriously, I'd love to hear your story. I'd love to hear what, uh, you know, your faith journey has been like. We said, all right. So we sat down a date to get coffee and uh, we sat down over coffee and, and I got to hear a story. And um, honestly, I'll never forget his story because it's, it's a tragic one. He grew up in a home full of brokenness. Uh, his dad was an alcoholic full of addiction. One of the things that he and his dad used to do to connect was they collected things. Uh, they had a big coin collection. One of the things he remembers most is you know, collecting coins with his father. Well, one day, uh, his mom said to him, hey, uh, Mike, get in the car. We need to go find dad. And so they're driving around the town trying to find him, and they finally pull up at this bar. They get out of the car, and they see uh, his dad walking towards them, towards the bar. His dad trips, falls down, and out of his hands, all of the coin collection, all over the ground. And he, Mike realizes that while dad was going to sell the coin collection just to get more alcohol, that's the kind of brokenness he comes from in his life. Later on now, mom's alone, and uh, mom is walking home and goes into her door, and some street thug follows her into her door to take her purse and kills her. 
you know, Mike is telling me the story through tears as he's recounting these things in his life. And I'm, I'm just listening, you know. And he says to me something I'll never forget. He said, Ed, I'm just not ready to trust in the Lord. Can I tell you? I think that a lot of people have those moments in life where, where they struggle. And maybe, maybe your circumstances are different than my friend Mike or even Thomas. But you maybe are listening in and you know that uh, it's things that have happened in your life, things that have happened to you, things that maybe you've done, whatever it is that life has a way of really wounding our faith. Can I tell you something? Mike, uh, Mike allowed me to tell his story because I wanted people to feel like they weren't alone. But that's the way life is. The reason it's so tough to embrace faith is because sometimes life has a way of wounding our faith. But here's the thing. Jesus actually used his wounds for a greater purpose. Here's how Jesus, um, here's what happens next in verse 26. So eight days later, so a full week later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands, put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. This is, this is obviously an incredible once in a lifetime moment for Thomas and for the rest of the disciples, right? They're all sitting in this room, the doors are locked. Because at this point, if you remember, the disciples were afraid. They had seen Jesus dragged away and killed. And so they were waiting and they would you know, try to hide from the officials thinking they were next. So the door is locked. Jesus somehow comes in through the door, through the wall. Somehow he's there. And he looks at the guys and says, peace be with you, which is a great way that you'd want Jesus to enter into your room, right? It's okay, peace be with you. And he says, Thomas, listen, see, see the scars? Touch my side. That's where the spear went in when they wanted to make sure I was dead. Feel this. And he says, I want you to believe. Do not disbelieve, but believe. I mean, this is, this is an incredible moment. But you have to think to yourself, um, and, and this, this is interesting. Okay, so Jesus comes back from the dead. And, and, and if you read through the scriptures, you see some different accounts where he's able to kind of walk through walls. He's able to kind of appear before people very clearly, but he can also make himself almost unrecognizable. There's something about his glorified body that's different. And yet you have to ask yourself, if you have a perfect body, you know, a body that maybe was always meant for us, right? Maybe that's what it's gonna be like in heaven, a glorified body. If you have that, why would you keep the scars? If you're gonna be perfect, like I have a little scar on my arm from the refrigerator. Like, wouldn't you get rid of that? Wouldn't you wanna get rid of your flaws? Why would Jesus keep the scars? But it says in Isaiah 53, this is written by the prophet Isaiah, 750 years before Jesus. And here's what he says in Isaiah 53, 5. He says, speaking of the Messiah, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. You see, Jesus didn't hide his scars. In fact, he made sure that we could see them. He looks right at Thomas and says, look, Thomas, touch them. Why? Why? because he used his wounds for a greater purpose. It is by his wounds that we are healed. 
What are we healed of? You need to understand that all of us are in the same condition. Sin corrupts everything about our lives. All of the things that God made us to be were normal. Our cravings, our desires were all normal. And sin enters into those things and it just distorts everything. And with sin comes death. The reason we feel such woundedness in this world is because the world is broken by sin. That's the reality. And Jesus came and took on our sin on the cross, paid for it all. And now he holds those scars as a purpose. He endured the cross for a purpose so that you and I could come to him in faith and be set free. Look, I gotta tell you something I've recognized in life now. I've been pastoring for you know 20 years and as I've been serving God, here is what I've learned about people. Is that the people with the deepest faith, I'm talking about those people that you and I meet that are like life-giving people. They seem to be, no matter what the circumstance, they seem to be calm and at peace. They're able to take on the diagnosis of life. They're able to take on the struggles and, and the moments that, are, that would crush most people. And they seem to be at peace. I've seen people towards the end of their life who people of deep faith seem to embrace even the end of their life in a way that no one else does. Why? Because they seem to have a deep faith and a deep peace in their life. And what I've found is those people often have the deepest scars. They often have been the most wounded by life. And yet somehow, instead of allowing those wounds to cripple their faith, they allow those wounds to be used for something bigger. They are able to lean into faith, lean into Christ. That's the reality. How do you get like that? And, and here's the thing, and I wish this weren't true. I think that the woundedness that happens in our life, God uses to remind us that we need a savior. Because we have a tendency to kind of think we have it all together. I've got my life together. You know, I don't need anything. I can just make it happen. And I think what happens is life has a way of wounding us and it makes us recognize that we are not the savior of our own life. We need someone to rescue us from the brokenness in this world. And isn't it interesting as we look around the world and everyone, you know, all the philosophers say that as we continue to grow in our maturity, we grow in our, uh, you know, our ability to understand things, we would create a society that would be more peaceful. But you know, that's never been true. And all of us know it. We look around the world and we recognize that there's brokenness everywhere. But we also look at our own lives and realize there's brokenness in our own life. And I think instead of allowing that brokenness to drive us away from God, God allows that brokenness to happen to us to remind us that we need God. Jesus used his wounds for a greater purpose. And here's the thing, and this is what I want you to hear if you hear nothing else today, is this, is that there is nothing more important to God than faith. Here's what happens next. Verse 28, Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. He said that to Jesus. And Jesus says back to him, verse 29, have you believed because you have seen? But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Interesting moment here. And just a side note, you know, Jesus didn't correct Thomas, but Thomas for the first time maybe had a realization, an epiphany moment where he's looking at Jesus, the risen Christ. And he knows that, you know, Thomas was the one who made those, that big, bold claim. I'm not gonna believe unless I touch him, unless I touch him. But here's the thing, he actually didn't touch him. It doesn't even say that he touched his hands, he touched the scars. He just believed because he had seen. 
Isn't it interesting? I think a lot of us, we, we have these moments where we're like, I'm not gonna believe unless, right? We're gonna put God on our terms. But here's Thomas now looking at the risen Christ who he knows, he knows is not just his Lord, but also his God. Why? Because now he's seen him. And Jesus says to him, yes, I see that, Thomas. I see now that you're believing. But blessed are those who will believe in me who haven't seen me. He's saying to you and I today, blessed, there's a blessing from God in our lives when we believe in the son who's risen from the grave, even though we haven't seen him. There's nothing more important than faith. And that's, that's exactly what he wants from us. We have a tendency to kind of think, well, I need to like live a life a certain way. I need to you know, behave a certain way. I need to make up for things that I've done in my life. I wanna be good. Maybe even showing up in church on a Sunday or on an Easter Sunday or, or maybe writing a check or trying to serve somewhere. Like sometimes we think, man, God will notice me. God will approve of my life if I just dot, dot, dot. And yet the thing that God really wants most is our faith. Hebrews eleven six says this, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Let that sink in for a second. He wants your faith. And if you don't, you cannot please him because it's your faith that's most important. Peter, the apostle, at the end of his life was writing a letter to believers. And he said, your faith is more valuable than fire tried gold. In God's mind, in God's economy, your faith is more valuable than the most precious thing we have, most valuable thing we have on earth. I think a lot of us spend our whole lives thinking and hoping that somehow God will approve our lives if we live a certain way. You know, my, my father um, was raised in a church where there were a lot of rules. And he had to kind of memorize those rules and try to keep those rules. And if he kept the rules, then somehow he could find peace with God. The problem was, as he lived his life, none of that ever happened. He tried to keep the rules, but then when you break rules in that church, you just have more rules you have to keep to make up for the rules you can't keep. And it's just a series of, of never-ending rules that you have to keep. And I remember my dad never had peace. But something happened to my dad in his mid-40s as Christ got a hold of his life. And he started to hear the message of the cross that his sins could be completely forgiven, that the thing that God requires is that you take a step of faith, place your trust in Jesus and what he did on the cross. And I think what started to occur to my dad was this, if I'm spending my whole life trying to be right with God by behaving a certain way, and if that's what it really takes, that you can get your good to outweigh your bad, if that's how you do it, then why would Jesus die? Because that makes no sense at all. If it's on us to earn it, why would Jesus come and die? That makes no sense. And that realization started to change his thinking. And my dad, in his mid-40s, after being religious his whole life, became a believer by placing his faith in Jesus Christ. And I, as now a teenage boy, started to witness the peace of God start to transform my father. I think for a lot of us, you know, we won't place our faith in Jesus because of a lack of, you know, trust because of woundedness that has happened. But for other people, they don't place their trust in Christ because they're, they're trying to earn it. Like, I'm gonna do it my way. But all he wants from us is our faith. So that brings us back to the original question. Why is it so difficult to live by faith? It's because it goes against our desire to be in control. He wants us to jump out of control, to jump into his arms. Let, let me tell you, 
um, about uh, my friend Mary. Uh, my friend Mary and I went to high school together. She and I were in the same homeroom class uh, throughout high school because her last name was Thomas and my last name is Travers. So we would sit near each other uh, during homeroom and we got to know each other. And, you know, we were just high school friends, right? Uh, we weren't close. We didn't live in the same neighborhood. And, uh, you know, we had similar circle of friends. And so we knew each other all four years. Um, but after we graduated, we lost touch and didn't really connect. But she was one of our class officers. And so she would sometimes kind of be the linchpin in organizing our class getting together. And so I would see her over the years. Well, when social media became a thing, um, you know, we became Facebook friends. And uh, so we would kind of catch up a little bit that way. Well, Mary was diagnosed with cancer. And uh, she decided, for her, she wanted to make it public. She wanted to let people know what she was going through and kind of chronicle her experiences with cancer. Um, and so I, you know, got to become reacquainted with Mary as I'm praying for her. Uh, and for several years, I watched her battles, kind of she'd have some winning battles and she'd have some losing battles. And there were times when she went into remission and, you know, it was a long battle. Uh, but I remember distinctly praying for her on a regular basis. God, I want you to heal her physically. I'm asking you, God, to heal her spiritually, that you would heal the wounds of sin in her life, that she would come to know you. And we, we you know, we didn't really connect uh, personally, in, in person much. I would sometimes send her messages on Facebook, and um, I remember one particular night, she was really sick. It was Thanksgiving night a couple years ago, and she was back in the hospital, and I thought, I'm not doing anything. And I asked the girls, I said, hey, do you care if I go visit Mary? And so they said, no, we're, we're done for the day. We're all tired and wiped out. So I just drove down and and got to reconnect with Mary in the hospital that night. And I got to meet her and her daughter and uh, just spend time with them and uh, just kind of encourage them and, and kind of catch up. It was fun uh, to see her there. Well, as time went on, uh, she got sicker and sicker. And eventually, uh, she made the announcement on social media she was heading into hospice. And she got word to me that she wanted to talk to me. And I'm like, okay, you know, I've been praying for moments like this with Mary, and um, then her, I got a message from her daughter, and her daughter said to me, Ed, I need to talk to you, uh, and in the message, she said, Mary, my mom, uh, is really sick, and she's close to the point of death, and she's not very strong, but what she wanted to talk to you about was she wanted you to do her funeral, and I remember just being blown away that, you know, this is a classmate. This is someone I was a teenager with that, uh, that she wants me to do her funeral. So I, I said to her daughter, I said, well, can I talk to her? Is there a way I could talk to her to find out what she wants, how I could honor her? And she said, well, she's not very lucid. I said, well, okay, well, what would be best? Maybe like we could try to FaceTime or um, I'd be happy to come and visit. She was at a hospice out in Newark, Ohio, which is about 45 minutes away from where I live. And um, I said, could you, could you ask and see if that's okay? So this was during the beginning of the pandemic. And uh, she asked the nurse, and the nurse said it was okay. So it was late at night, um, and I, I just, I told Tammy, I said, hey, I'm going to go to the hospital. And I drove to Newark, and on the way to Newark, um, this is what I prayed. I said, God, you're, you're going to wake her up. I said, I have, I have prayed too many prayers. Uh, to not have one conversation with Mary. I'm asking you, God, that you would wake her up and make her lucid and aware. I would like to tell her about you. And uh, I prayed and I cried and I prayed and I drove out to Newark. And when I went, um, I was wearing a Pittsburgh Steelers face mask. 
you know, everyone was wearing masks at the time, and when you go into the hospital, and uh, I knew she was a Cowboys fan, and I knew it would annoy her. And, uh, you know, as a typical teenager, I used to annoy her in class. I'm going to annoy her even now. So I, I wore the Pittsburgh Steelers mask. I come into the room, and her daughter says to Mary, hey, Mary, you know, Mom, wake up. Ed's here. I came over. She opened her eyes, and she saw my Steelers mask, and she literally lit up, and she goes, oh, my. And I was just, you know, I had a good chuckle. We, we laughed together, and she was completely awake. I mean, we had a great conversation. She sat up in her, in her bed, and, and uh, she was sharp. And I started asking, I said, Mary, how can I honor you? What would you want to say to the crowd at your own funeral? And so she just, you know, you're, when you're listening to somebody at the last Last page of the last chapter of their life, listening to her talk about life and about important things. And, um, you know, I'm just, I was, I was just honored and blessed to have been there in that moment to share, you know, Mary's thoughts and her heart. I said, Mary, you know, my job as a pastor is to help people connect to God. I said, Mary, I just want to help you even tonight to connect to God. I said, I said, Mary, you know, I have two daughters. I said, when they were little, I remember that they used to stand on the steps and I would tell them to jump to daddy. And I had one daughter who was really fearful. She would get on the first step, so less than like, you know, eight inches above the ground. And she wouldn't, she wouldn't jump unless she had a hand out on me. She's like, Daddy, you need to hold my hand before I jump. I had another daughter who would jump three, four steps. She would try five steps, you know, and I'm like, jump to Daddy, and she would jump. I said, Mary, I think God taught me something about him in this moment as a dad, that God wants us to jump to him to trust in him, to just take a leap and trust that he's gonna catch us. I said, Mary, the reason we know we can jump to God is because he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross to pay the penalty for sin so that we would have nothing between us. We could be made completely at peace with God and we'd be free to jump to him. And so that's why he died on the cross so that we could jump to him. I said, Mary, I want you to be sure that when the time comes, when Jesus comes to you, you can jump to him. And so we took some time that night to pray together. And after we prayed, I went home, it was late. And by that morning, she passed away. You know, I bring it up because I think it's true for all of us. Is that what God wants for us is to simply trust him with our lives. And for some people, that's a first time moment. The first time they jump off a step, a step is when they realize, wow, it's my sin that separated me from God. All of this tension inside, this animosity inside, this brokenness inside is what sin does to us. And if we lay down our lives at Jesus' feet and say, Jesus, please forgive me of my sin, he will forgive us of our sin and we could be made right with God. He puts us in a right relationship with the Father. That's a first step jump. For other people like me who, who made that first time jump, sometimes life has a way of kind of making us shrink back on our faith. And God is saying, no, I want you to live out the faith by jumping into my arms all the time. This is what he wants from us. Is it hard? Yes, because it's not normal. We want to make sure we're safe. And he's saying, I am safe. Blessed are those who believe and yet do not see. Let's take a second to pray. Wherever you're at, I'm just gonna ask you that you um, would talk to God. If you've never placed your faith in Christ, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer to do that. For all those who are listening in that are like me, that sometimes we struggle with faith, talk to God and say, God, help me to believe. Help me to trust you 
every day by taking a step. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross, that he rose from the grave and that he's alive. By his wounds, we are healed. God, I pray for anyone who's listening in, if they've never made the decision to follow you, Jesus, I'm gonna lead them in a prayer. God, I pray you would meet them right where they're at. If that's you, just say to God, God, I believe in you and I believe you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross. I believe that he was crucified and I believe he was buried and I believe he rose from the grave. Just tell him that. And in faith, the Bible says, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Here's what that means for you. You simply say to Jesus, Jesus, I'm calling on you now to please come into my life. Please forgive me of my sin, Jesus. And I'm asking you, Jesus, to lead my life. Will you be my Lord? Just tell him that. You need to know it's that little step of faith that's jumping off the step into the arms of Jesus that makes you right with the Father. God, I pray for those who are taking first-time steps with you, even right now. Lord, I pray that you would meet them where they're at, fill them with your peace, help them to know that they are with you. Lord, walk with them now and walk them towards yourself in this journey of faith. And we ask that in your son's holy name. Amen. Amen. I wanna thank you so much for listening in today and happy Easter to you. I just wanna say that if you are listening in and you made a first time decision to follow Jesus this morning, if you go to lifepointohio.com forward slash watch, there's a button there called guest information. And if you hit that button, uh, it'll come down. It'll, you'll literally have a place where you can fill out a little bit of information to let us know who you are. But in that, you can start a conversation with us. Maybe if you've never been baptized, you could start a conversation about that there and we can walk you through that. If you made a first-time decision to follow Christ, we'd be happy to send you a book called Your Next 30 Days. And we'll send that to you for free. Just, it'll help you in your journey of faith. Whatever it is, I just wanna say thank you so much for listening in. We wanna help you take those steps. For all others, I just wanna say thanks for the way you support the ministry and, and allow us to be able to do things like this today. Thank you for the way you give. Um, and if anyone who's listening in wants to take a next step, go to that same page and, and let us know uh, a way that we can help you today. Till next time, God bless.